0: All right, hello and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar series Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3pm Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion
1: over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening. Um, we are 41 days away from uh, the fourth uh, Israeli elections in what is it, a year and a half. Um, and we're going to focus a little bit on uh, what's going on, really, on the political map. Uh, as the blurb uh, suggested, um, the majority of the parties are what would be on the ideological right. Uh, I think it was five out of the six parties or let's say five out of the seven uh, parties which are polling best at the moment could certainly be seen as parties on the ideological right or the religious right. And would certainly uh, seem to fit very nicely into a right wing religious bloc, which was uh, always a sort of stable block and could be relied on. In fact, uh, as many pollsters have uh, pointed out, in theory, the religious right bloc uh, would be able to cobble together um, a coalition of 80 seats, which is well above uh, the 61 needed, and possibly, or in theory at least, should uh, be one of the most stable Israeli governments in recent history, certainly probably in the last couple of decades. I mean, to have two thirds of uh, the Knesset, to have a majority of two thirds would certainly give any government a lot of wiggle room. You've got uh, pretty much every single party apart from liquid in such a coalition coalition that could vote against the governments on a certain issue and they would still have a majority. The question is, why aren't we seeing such a thing? Or really it comes down to one thing Uh, at the end of the day, the reason why there isn't this right-wing religious coalition is personality. Um, At least two, uh, possibly three parties, Uh, we'll have to wait and see exactly where you mean to come down after the elections, but at least two parties that are ostensibly on the right, and which would, would sit very uh, nicely in a right wing coalition in theory, uh, will not sit uh, under Benjamin Netanyahu, the, prime, the current Prime Minister, that's Gideon Sarr's, uh New Hope Party, and Abidou Liebman's Israel Party. Gideon Saar, as we know, came from the Likud, he left only months ago, and he'd sat in the Likud for many years and, been a close advisor to Netanyahu for many years. Victor Liebman was uh, the Director General of the Likud party, was Director General of the Prime Minister's office. Under uh, Netanyahu we look at Naftali Bennett who has said he will not at this point support uh, either camps and when you see the polls uh, usually it's right and left block but uh, today we see the those who are who could sit with Netanyahu and those who will not um, and sometimes Bennett is uh, put with the could sit with Netanyahu because he said he's open to it. He hasn't made a decision. Sometimes he's put a separate. uh, Nafti, uh Naftali Bennett is another one who was the chief of staff to uh, um, uh, Netanyahu at one point. Uh, so we see really this comes down to personality. And if you look at the wider picture, these elections are again a referendum on the leadership of uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, the interesting thing is the blocks again, We just had another poll tonight, Uh, Israeli pollsters are making a lot of money because I don't think that there's more than two days without a different poll. Uh, And and really, the polls are massively different, but the little details matter, and I'll explain why. At the moment, uh, according to the most recent poll by Channel 12, um, tonight, Netanyahu with the ultra-Orthodox parties, plus uh, the uh, 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 Talos Smotrich's party with Itamar Benkvir, the extreme right religious party, uh, plus Naftali Bennett, if he decides to go Netanyahu after, only make 59. Now 59, as we know, you can't make a, a coalition because you're outnumbered. The other block obviously has 61. And again, we're talking about first of all, there's nine from the Arab party there. Uh, which could oppose a government, but certainly wouldn't fit comfortably within a government. So both sides need one character at this point. Naftali Bennett has become a kingmaker. No side could even get close to a coalition without Naftali Bennett. And he's in a very, very good position tonight. And it's no coincidence that uh, Netanyahu put out on his favorite channel, which is Channel 20, which is very pro him and basically, in you know, a lot of softball questions in their interviews, Uh, basically asked him about uh, the potential of having another rotation agreement uh, with the prime minister, which, as we know, he currently has with Benny Gantz, where he ruled it out. He said, it doesn't work. You can only have one prime minister, and this idea will not be brought up again. So he wanted to dampen the expectation um, from Naftali Bennett and anyone in his camp that he could be given rotation. There's been a lot of whispers from that camp that they would only go with a government that would offer rotation and in his case because he's seen the way Benny Gantz has been treated he would argue to be first now you know at the moment he's polling around 11 seats now is it possible that a prime minister could have 11 seats uh you know they'd, be, they'd have to be at least 50 from other parties that would be pretty unworkable pretty diff- uh, difficult uh to manage but it's it's, you know, Naftali Bennett, as I said, without him, neither side even has a hope of a coalition. Um, so he basically has an extremely strong hand. Uh, but Netanyahu has said that uh, he's, put, he's, he's taking at this point the issue of having uh, an alternative uh, prime minister, as he has with Gantz, off the table. Um, other issues are, you know, because there's real no ideological differences between, let's say, uh, a, Netanyahu, Assar, to a certain extent, Naftali Bennett, to a slightly lesser extent, Victor Lehman, and to even slightly lesser extent, Yair Lapid. On security issues, yes, there are differences, but those are certainly not uh, being placed front and center, far from it. Uh, On economic issues, there's not that much difference. So really, the focus at this point from the Netanyahu cab is trying to to create this difference. Basically, his strategy is saying it's either me or Yair Lapid. Now to a certain extent there's something true to that because if the anti-Netanyahu camp does get together, they have said, at least Victor Liebman has said who's very much part of that camp, that the prime ministerial candidate will be that the leader of the largest party of that camp. And At the moment it is uh, very much uh, Yair Lapid. Tonight's results gave him 20 seats and the next greatest on that next largest on that block is 13. So I don't think that will be a gap that will be, uh, uh, you know, uh, made smaller. I think if anything, it will just become uh, greater uh, over time. Uh, so that would mean Yeh Lapid would be ostensibly the leader of that block and would be the prime minister Can- prime ministerial candidate of-, of that block. So what Netanyahu is cleverly trying to do is not so much go after Gidon Saar and Aftali Bennett, where they have very little ideological differences, especially as he'll probably need at least one of them, if not both of them after the elections, but trying to create this artificial ideological difference that Yale appeared as this left winger, knowing that these are not really the issues, but trying to make that difference. It's a very clever strategy. But on the other hand, Gidon Saar, especially and Naftali Bennett, to a slightly lesser extent, are going very heavy on, uh, Naftali, uh, on uh, Netanyahu's failures, as they would describe it, on the coronavirus, on handling the pandemic, and on the economy. So much so that Gidon Saar kind of came out with a little bit of a bombshell, uh, where he said that um, after the next elections, he will call for a national uh, inquiry, an official state inquiry into the handling of the pandemic. And as he put it in his campaign videos, uh, the fact that this government is costing uh, Israeli, thousands of Israelis their lives, hundreds of thousands of Israelis, their jobs, businesses, et cetera, et cetera. So to call for a national state inquiry into the handling of the pandemic is certainly going very tough. And there was a very clever video today which sort of discredited uh, Minister of Transportation, Meir Regov, for her what, perceived failures uh, to close the airports in time. And there's a lot of discussion around that. Uh, exactly you know, what should have been done, should that have been done months ago? There's a lot of the public which feel that uh, certainly it should have been. Um, so basically, that there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, disappointment with the handling uh, by the government, but, and this is the interesting thing, and this is what Benjamin Netanyahu's pollsters will be telling him regularly, and he knows it very well himself, that despite the perceived failings, there is still no one in Israel who is perceived as more, uh, uh, let's say, uh, popular or more um, capable as being prime minister. When polls are taken of him head-to-head against Gidon Saar, against Lapid, and against Bennett, he wins by quite a bit. The gap with Lapid is closing, uh, but with the other two, it's just not even a close contest. So the majority of Israelis do still see, and they still have this sort of, there's there's this feeling that no one else can run this country, uh, which is something that Netanyahu plays on very well, even though the country as a whole, the public seem to be extremely disappointed with the running of the country and they think that there are failures across with the health system, the education system, social affairs, uh, uh, transportation, as as, as I said, etc, etc. But for for a a large group of Israelis, Netanyahu is still the only game in town and that's something which um, is is very much in his favour as we see in the polls. One interesting element of a poll that was undertaken by, uh, I think, the Israel Democracy Institute. When they ask people, and this is very important for anyone who has ever worked in elections, is, you know, in, in a regular poll, they ask you who you most likely to vote if the elections were held today, and you give your choice. But in this poll, and which, as I said, someone who's worked in elections will be asking these questions a lot, how likely are you to turn out and vote on the day uh, for your chosen uh, party? And one of the lowest amounts is Likud. Some of the parties have 75%, 80%. Some of the ultra-Orthodox parties have even 90% likelihood. So they know that they're pretty constant and they know the numbers that they're getting. The Likud's numbers, according to the survey at least, were around 53%. That's extremely significant. That shows that there certainly isn't that passion amongst Likud voters. To really get to the polls on the day. Again, we've got 41 days and Netanyahu will be reading these uh, polls very carefully and he'll be taking his own polls and he'll understand the pulse of his public and he'll be making sure that he'll do everything uh, and he's very good at that as he's shown in the past to try and really motivate his base and that's really where it matters And, and just to get back to the initial point is this election, as we've said in the past, will be won and lost by narrow margins according to the poll tonight that we, uh, we talked about, uh, all the parties uh, pretty much are supposed to pass the, uh, the lower threshold and make it into the Knesset. Merit's uh, uh, blue and white, which are hovering very close and some polls put them under. Um, the Iran party, uh, as we talked about, the Islamist Muslim party is not expected to uh, get across the threshold. I think there was one poll out of the last 20 that I've seen that expects it to, but there are some commentators which suggest that that may be a surprise. Um, the religious sign the, the far right religious Zionist list. Uh, most polls say it will uh, pass the threshold, but there have been one or two that haven't. If one of these falls on one side or the other, it changes the map because those, as I said, those as we've talked about before, those votes get sort of thrown away as it were and everything then gets thrown back into the in, in, into the mix, as it were. Um, so really, you know, if blue and white don't make it or merits don't make it or Ram do make it or the uh, the religious Zionist party do not make it this changes everything. Um, so the numbers are, are, are very tight at this moment, but with 41 days to go, it's, there's still so much uh, in play. Uh, and with that, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions about this or anything
0: else. All right, thank you so much. So the first question is, which party would be the best suited to deal with the Biden administration?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. First of all, there will not be one party that will uh, govern. Um, If it's going to be this uh, anti-BB bloc, then it would remain to be seen. But I mean, I I think that uh, it's probable that the Americans would prefer to deal with anyone but uh, Netanyahu. As we've seen in the last uh, few years, uh, Netanyahu has placed himself very much in a partisan place in American politics. And likewise, you know, there were there were posters here of, in subsequent elections, you know, one of one of Liquid's main campaign posters had uh, Netanyahu standing next to uh, former President Donald Trump. Uh, and there were all these gestures just before the elections by the Trump administration to help uh, Netanyahu get the numbers that he did in previous elections. Um, So the partisan nature of politics towards Israel um, is something that I'm sure, uh, you know, the Biden administration that still has yet, at least at the presidential level, has yet to call Prime Minister Netanyahu, I think is is, is, is a statement in itself. Um, So I think uh, probably anyone but Netanyahu at this point uh, would be something that the Biden administration would prefer and probably work better with it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it, 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 it's a bit of a say, but there is a certain amount of truism that the relationship between America and Israel is beyond uh, partisan politics. Biden and, and, and Bibi know each other. They've known each other for decades. They, they may not agree on many issues, but there is a, res- there is a respect there. There is a, an understanding there. And, and I'm sure that regardless of who wins the next elections, you know, the relationship will be solid and hopefully it can move forward in a in a a clever and natural and a strategic manner.
0: Thank you. And we have multiple viewers asking, uh, will uh, Biden not calling Netanyahu have an effect on the election? And what exactly is the significance of this?
1: Um, There's been a bit of a debate about that uh, over here, exactly what that means. It hasn't played out as much. Um, It's certainly, it's certainly, uh, you know, sort of, as I said, the, the the Trump card was Trump in the previous elections, which Netanyahu can't use anymore. Um, and he's certainly not going as much on his relationship with foreign leaders as he did uh, in previous elections. He is talking about issues that the normalization agreements, etc, etc. Um, but the longer it goes on, and the more sort of uh, background noise uh, comes around, um, there will be some talk and uh, you know uh, there'll be some mutterings about it but at this point as I said that the focus really is on the coronavirus and the economy and the government's handling of it. Now as I said you know uh, there is this uh, feeling that Likud and Netanyahu campaign like to show that he is the uh, indispensable leader uh, so the fact that the leader of the free world Israel's greatest ally haven't even bothered to pick up the phone to the prime minister uh, at this point, although there have been conversations, obviously, at other levels, the foreign minister has spoken with the Secretary of State at least two occasions, um, but I think there's a message there, and whether that will affect the vote, I doubt too much, I, I can't see too many uh, liquid voters for that, that, that being an issue for too many liquid voters, but it's certainly not, it's not giving uh, Bibi the card that he's played in previous elections that certainly helped him get to the numbers that he did.
0: So has Netanyahu's legal problems had had
1: any any effect on the election? That's a good point. I didn't mention it, uh, but this week Netanyahu was back in court for a very short amount of time, 20 minutes, and all he did was basically affirm what his lawyers said was a a plea of uh, uh, not guilty uh, to the charges made against him. Um, It it was a bit of a media storm in a teacup a little bit here. All the major channels had massive programs, really trying to dissect everything from the legal to the political uh, elements. There were, you know, uh, uh, you know, crowds, there was a relatively big anti-BB crowd outside screaming and shouting and very little pro-BB. The truth is he did himself uh, call on his supporters not to turn up uh, to the court. Uh, but at the end, I don't think it had too much of an influence. There were very, a few images coming out of there. There was, very, there was no evidence. Uh, we're not going to get into the sort of meat of the charges, possibly until after the elections. Bibi's lawyers uh, very much um, are, are trying to put it off. There's been a lot of pressure. Yair you know, Levine, the Speaker of the Knesset, came out and said it would be uh, seen as an interference in our political system to have this uh, trial, start the trial in earnest uh, before the elections. Uh, the case against that is when you have uh, you know election after election, then you basically never have a court case and and it even gives a sort of incentive to have more and more elections uh, as we go along. But it does seem that there's still a few bureaucratic processes to go through uh, and according to the justice's decision or at least what they said in court, it does seem like they'll put it off for at least a couple of months and that could be till after the elections but we're still waiting for the official uh, decision on various procedural issues From the justices, it'll be very important if they do start the evidence and uh, and the witness, uh, you know, uh, the giving of uh, witness testimonials before the elections, and we, you know, a lot of that is then uh, transcribed to the newspapers, radio, TV. Then it certainly could have an effect. But what many people, many commentators have said is, you know, this trial has been going on for a while. We've known about it already for three elections. There's nothing really new. Uh, at this point at least maybe deep into the trial bit there'll be some new revelations but probably not before these elections so those who believe that he's guilty and that this is a witch hunt uh, not guilty and this is a witch hunt which is definitely the talking point of the liquid party uh, will continue to believe so and those who believe that he is uh, quote unquote what they call him the crime minister and someone up to his ears in corruption will continue believing that there's There's very few people in in Israel at this point who probably haven't made up their their mind about it. I can't imagine there's many of them. And if there are, I'm not sure if that's going to be such an issue if if they're really not invested in that. So, uh, at this point, most commentators are saying that uh, unless something happens before the elections, it's probably not going to be an issue.
0: Understood. Thank you. So with coronavirus being such a large issue at this time, do any of the competing parties actually have a very clear policy on this? Lockdowns, quarantines, travel, et cetera?
1: Um, yes. Uh, don't make me go into the details. I have read some of them. They're the, the, the sharpest, let's say, is probably from Natalie Bennett. He's been saying for quite a while. Uh, he would deal with it uh, without lockdowns. He said, if given responsibility, he would have the whole thing done within a month. That's what he's said a number of months ago. Uh, all the major candidates pretty much have a plan, uh, exact, ex- except for that he could. they <laughs> could have uh, historically, at least in recent history, never put out a manifesto or a vision. So it's quite amazing in, in Western democracies that the ruling party doesn't even put out any written material about what they plan to do after the elections, but that's the way it's been uh, for a number of years. Um, but uh, yes, there are, there are various plans. I would certainly not want to, uh, state them because I, I don't want to, you know, do them in the injustice. Uh, most of them have been put out uh, in English so you can search for them, uh, but there have been uh, plans by all the major players exactly how they would deal with it because they feel that is a point where the, the public uh, is, is, is angry, is disappointed, um, you actually even have tomorrow we'll see if it comes, uh, comes to fruition, but there's talk of restaurants, hotels, uh, shopping malls opening despite the restrictions to say we've had enough uh, that could be a very interesting element and the police are certainly ready for it uh, a lot of the um, the owners of these businesses are saying and even cultural uh, events uh, they're saying well the ultra-orthodox world we've seen that uh, they've been allowed to go about their business with weddings with funerals with uh, with open, the schools open with shops open if you go to Mir Shearim, which is an ultra-orthodox uh, stronghold, you'll see life as normal. Shops open, restaurants, whatever, uh, schools. Uh, so they're saying, well, why should the police suddenly come down on us? So that could be very interesting to see exactly. That will be a bit of a test for Netanyahu. Netanyahu has already instructed his uh, Minister of Interior to, to clamp down on those. But then you can imagine how those images will be seen side by side with the ultra-Orthodox, which have barely had a police presence and certainly not, uh, not too many fines or arrests being made in that community. So uh, there's still a lot to talk about uh, with the coronavirus and the, the government's uh, response to it. Uh, but exactly what the other parties would do, it's not, it's not simply they're bashing the government. I don't want that to be uh, the idea given here. They, they have got plans. They have got well-formulated plans. But I would really uh, you know, just uh, you know, uh, guide everyone to look through those uh, by themselves.
0: Thank you. So we've been getting reports that the vaccination rates have dropped off. How is the government trying to reverse this trend?
1: Yes. Um, you know, there was there was a time where Israel was vaccinating around 150,000 a day, even more at some point. And uh, these days, it's around 60,000. There's been a massive drop off, considering, you know, that the, the lines and the expectation and the need around the world, it's quite amazing that Israel as images and videos of empty centers, where people have the vaccine ready to give out, and people are just not coming in, there is a growing—many people didn't think there was—but there is a growing, uh, there was, there is a growing uh, skepticism. Uh, there's been some high-level. There was a there was an ultra-orthodox rabbi who is considered the rabbi to many celebrities, and he came out and basically came out with these conspiracies about the vaccine, it creates infertility, it's this, it's that, the other, usual conspiracies, Um, and you have a few celebrities, and he has a Facebook following of hundreds of thousands, Uh, so not not to say that he's solely responsible, there there are many different things, there's a feeling amongst the younger uh, public that, you know, they don't really need it, uh, so why take a risk? But what the government is doing, and I, and I think this is certainly the, the correct uh, response, is trying to incentivize a sort of carrot and a stick. They're saying that um, when you get your, your second inoculation, uh, a week later, you can apply for what's called a green passport, which uh, basically says that you're inoculated, it's an official thing with a QR code, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they're saying that uh, if you have one of these, you can enter malls, restaurants, cultural sporting events, traveling abroad without isolation, et cetera, et cetera. And if you don't, you won't be able to do any of these things. They're saying gyms uh, and they're trying to really incentivize and say, you know, it's, it's not worth your while not getting it. Uh, there's even talk of Julie Edelstein, the uh, Minister of Health came out to, today and said that they're looking into a law that would allow businesses to uh, ensure that all their uh, employees are inoculated, uh, basically saying, if you want to continue working for us, you have to be inoculated at the moment. No one can do that. Uh, no one can force uh, anyone to do that. And, and there's also talk in the teach in the education system, whether you can uh, force teachers to get uh, inoculated. There's some uh, cities like Yavne, which have basically said that we will not allow any teachers uh, into our schools or kindergarten system who have not been inoculated. Uh, but again, at, the, at this point in time, it's not legal uh, to to do that. But uh, the government is certainly looking into ways to try to see if they they can legislate for that. And interestingly enough, the Attorney General has given a a sort of a a tentative approval for the concept uh, that that would be. So that's, as you can imagine, very controversial because in Israel, like many other places, uh, it's extremely rare, if ever that that the government can enforce a particular uh, medical response, whether it's a vaccination or otherwise. Um, So we'll see exactly how that plays out in those few days.
0: So along those lines, uh, with Netanyahu getting a lot of kudos because of the vaccination rollout, uh, has that pride now dissipated since the the rates are going lower?
1: Um, Well, something that Netanyahu certainly brings up. um, I mean, we're still, in theory, we're out of the lockdown because some of the restrictions uh, were eased, but the education system is only starting to go back tomorrow they're uh, reintroducing the uh, what they call the uh, the light uh, the traffic light system so uh, cities which are green and yellow we actually have four lights in our traffic light system we have green yellow orange and red uh, only green and yellow are going back from first to fourth grade and kindergartens um, but that's about a third of the country so we're still seeing hundreds of thousands of kids staying home uh, for at least another week, if not more. And there's talk that the middle sort of grades from the age of 12 until 16 won't go back for at least another month and a half. Uh, when we're, we, you know, past the Purim holiday on our way to the Pesach holiday, and pretty much the years almost ended after that. So, you know, people are just, are just really, really distraught about, you know, having the, the kids are still missing out on more education. You know, businesses are still uh, shuttering every day. People are still in unemployment, etc., uh, etc. Et so, the initial excitement over the vaccine has dissipated. The fact that the centers are, many centers around the country are empty, or you know, certainly a trickle uh, than it was at first. So, that that's dissipated uh, to a certain extent. But um, the government is trying very hard to sort of kick that up and. Is talking about benchmarks trying to reach ben- uh, benchmarks at the moment I think we have three and a half million people who've had the first vaccine two and a half million with the second vaccine but they're talking about at least getting to four million and 90 percent of those over the age of 50 which obviously are the most likely uh, to uh, if they have COVID to, to have the, the, the worst symptoms uh, so those are benchmarks which the government's trying to do and certainly trying to put the vaccine back on the front uh, front foot and uh, ensure that Israel remains ahead of the world percentage wise.
0: Thank you. And has there been any update with the, the variant that has come through?
1: Which variant? Uh, there's quite a few, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, basically they're, they're saying that considering we had a lockdown, considering we have the fastest faction of vaccination program in the world, the numbers are going down extremely slowly. Um, and they're blaming that on the variants, uh, mutations, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there is a certain, you know, that, that, that's what's happening. Although they say that the Pfizer vaccine, which is what everyone in Israel has taken, seems to be uh, good for, for those vari- variants or mutations uh, at this point. Uh, and and the hospital records and, and surveys that they've done through uh, various health services are showing that the, the vaccine is working. That that's the bottom line. They're showing that those who've had the vaccine are simply not getting ill, not even close to the numbers of those who haven't. So the bottom line is that Israel has, is this test case. And so far the good news from Israel to the world is that the vaccines are having a tremendous effect. Um, so, um, but uh, definitely the, 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 the mutations are slowing that down a little bit because they're spreading and it's a race between the mutations and the vaccines. but. Uh, It seems one that slowly but surely the vaccines will win out. Uh, And, uh, but we'll we'll obviously have more information in the coming weeks and months.
0: All right, well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. Uh, For our viewers, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Tariq Fatah discussing Islamism in the West, how we got here, how we defeat it. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a great day.